All right, well, hey, good morning, everybody. Good to see you guys today. Welcome officially to New Life Church. It's a joy and honor and a privilege that you guys would show up here uh, week after week and be with us together as a church family. It's great what God's doing and exciting. We're about to head into a new season as we kicked off a new series last week called Vision 2020, Let Hope Arise. So we're going to be continuing in that uh, over throughout September, actually. So it's several weeks, but there's a lot of things that we want to unpack. A lot of things we want to communicate. There's a lot of things we want to celebrate. And that's really what this whole concept is about with this series, uh, Vision 2020, Let Hope Arise. It's about honoring the legacy that has helped to shape us, but it's also about rejoicing in the future that lies ahead. Let me invite you to open up your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 5, New Testament, Ephesians chapter 5. And it will all, these verses will also be on the screen here in just a few minutes when we get to that. You're going to be hearing things in, in 20s over the next, uh, excuse me, over the next several weeks. You're going to be hearing things in the 20s. And uh, as we are looking intently at the celebration of time for 40 years uh, as, a, as a church, um, going to be hearing things uh, about, we're going to be talking about marriage, we're going to be talking about relationships, we're going to be talking about the celebration of, of longevity as a church, uh, longevity as in ministry, as a, a me personally, as a pastor, over the, I've been, this is our, my 20th full-time year uh, to be in ministry, and, um, and so it'll be this September, we'll mark 10 years as the senior pastor here at the church. We're also uh, nearing the end of September, we're going to be unveiling and talking about the future of our church for the next 20 years, so what we believe the Lord is downloading to us and showing us what's on the horizon and what lies ahead. And we're taking time with all these things because we're wanting to try to create and communicate a healthy perspective. That it's important as a church that, that it's made up of many members, uh, but those members are one body. And as you look at throughout the book of Acts and you begin to see the beginning stages of the church and then the successes and the, and the fruit of that, uh, of the early church, you see there's a common thread in that, and that is that they were of one heart and one mind, and one purpose, a church that's unified. And ultimately, I believe in that, and I believe that God believes in that, that he wants his church all across the landscape of the world to be together and to be one. And certainly when it comes to the local branches, that we are one body. So we're going to be really taking some time to unveil and unpack some things and go through some things, and uh, really just to do that, to help create and help communicate a healthy perspective. You know, perspective is, is a funny word, but it, it really what it means, it means to be able to look through to the end. That's what perspective really means. To be able to look through something to the end of something. You know, it's really a helpful spiritual discipline for us as believers to have, to pray a prayer something like this, God, Show me your thoughts. Show me your ways. Let me see things from your point of view. And then take that point of view, that long look of life that God has back to our situations, back to our scenarios, back to our homes, back to our families, to our children, to our jobs, back to our life, back to our church and those sorts of things, to be able to gain his view. In fact, Isaiah talked about it in Isaiah 55, and he, 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 he tells us, he says, hey, God's thoughts and God's ways are higher than ours. 
Aren't you glad for that? I mean, because the way we see things too many times is we see them from just our point of view and from our perspective. But to have a healthy biblical perspective, we've got to be able to look through to the end of something and see it the way God sees it. You know, God has a view of life. God has a view of us. He has a view of us individually. He has a view of us collectively as as family units. He has a view of us as a church body. He has a view of our world. He has a view of all things. And his view is perfect. It's not skewed. He has perfect vision. And the only way you and I can really grasp and understand what it is he's seeing is to see what he has said from his word. Amen? Do you agree with that? You guys awake today? All right. So Vision 2020, as we're looking at this thing, let hope arise about, rejo- about, about honoring the legacy that has shaped us and rejoicing in the future that lies ahead of us. And today in particular, and, and the Lord willing, next week, we're going to be looking at marriage and relationships. Marriage and relationships. And I'm going to start today and talk about 20 things that I've learned in marriage. Celebrating 20 years, as I mentioned earlier this year, we did back in May. I'll share a little more about that in just a moment. But we're going to begin to share about 20 things we've learned in marriage and in relationships. And if you're not married, never been married, or uh, you're not or don't want to get married, it, the whole idea of life is this, relationship. Relationship. God created us for relationship. So let's look at his scriptures right here in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31. It says, as the scriptures say, Paul speaking these words and wrote these words, he says, as scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Let's pray over his word and what he's going to share with us today. Father God, we thank you for today. Thank you for this opportunity to be together as as family of faith, together in your presence, gathered in your name. And we thank you that you have a purpose for our life, And you have a purpose for our relationships. You want to be glorified in all of these things. We want the world to be able to look at our lives and be able to look at our homes and our families and our relationships and see that, hey, there's a higher thing at work in us, and that's Jesus. So, Lord, where there's a disconnect, where there's a gap today in anything, in our relationship with you, maybe in our relationship with the church, maybe our relationship with just one another at home and even in the church and throughout the church. Close that gap. Close it up. Bridge it up. Holy Spirit, open your word, the word of God, and let it be clear to us today. And let it encourage us. May it challenge us where it needs to, convict us where it needs to, but ultimately let it challenge us and and, and encourage us to move forward and not stay stuck in any one place, but to move with you. We honor you now and I ask you to help me to speak and proclaim your truth and love today in Jesus' name. Everybody who agrees can say amen. Amen. Ultimately, a marriage is supposed to reflect the relationship that Christ has with the church. The thing is, there's no perfect church. There's no perfect marriage. As in any relationship, we reap what we 
So it's a universal rule, it's a kingdom rule that never changes. We reap what we sow. I recently read this. It said, a marriage is like a garden. It's always changing and growing into something. Even if left untouched, it's still going to sprout up weeds. But if tended and tilled, the soil is ready for planting and growing beautiful, useful flowers and plants. As I mentioned earlier, we just, Haley and I celebrated 20 years this past May. We met in 1995, in the summer of 95, in the blazing hot sun of 95, out in White Post, Arizona on a mission trip. She was with one church, I was with another church, but the two churches came together as one. And so, thank you for laughing, I appreciate that. Um... And so we met and uh, just exchanged glances. That was about it. And then in April of that following year of 96, I got the courage and the permission to get her phone number. And, uh, and I called her and we talked. And I was out of breath the entire time we talked on the phone, trying to think of things to say and, and not come across as weird um, or, uh, I don't know, yeah, weird, I guess. But... Um, but then we started dating uh, that, that year, that spring, uh, in 96. In 97, June 28th of 1997, we, we got married, or excuse me, we got engaged. I uh, actually got engaged at a friend of ours' wedding in their reception area. Set up to, to, for her to catch the flowers and me to get the garter and all that good stuff, and then, then ask her to marry me. Thankfully, she said yes in front of everybody, and she meant it. And followed through with it. And then we were married May 2nd of 1998. She graduated from Lambeth on a Sunday, uh, six days before we got married on a Saturday. And that February of 98, I started my very first full-time ministry position at the church uh, that my family and I had uh, attended and were members of for quite some time. And, and so uh, then we were married in 90, May of 98. She started teaching in August of 98 in Orange Mound uh, in, in Memphis. Anybody know about the mound? A few people know about the mound. What's up? And, um, and she taught in the inner city for five years uh, there. And then in 2005, we moved here. Uh, and, then, um, and then in 2006, June of tw- 2006, our first child was born, Eden. And then March 2012, our second, Callie. And then December of 13, Emma. Yes, that was pretty close together. Um, and in between those, those few years, we, did a, we fostered a child for about six, eight months to help that child transition out of a difficult situation into uh, a better place of life. And, um, and in the meantime, we've been here uh, just continuing to plow along and try to be faithful and obedient to God's call. But 20 years uh, this past May. How many have been married less than five years here? Less than five. All right. How about between five and ten? Five and ten. How about between the ten and twenty range? All right. Who has is, who is crossed over uh, 25? Wow, look at that. Look at that. Who has gotten to about 35 years? Oh. <laughs> How about 40? Got any 40? Oh, wow, yes. That's right. 
came all the way from India so that we could say congratulations. <laughs> Absolutely. Go on. How about 50? Yeah. He's going to make sure I get there. 57 years, guys. How about that? Well, seriously, it's an honor. 57 years. 57 years. Let's see. I'm 42, almost going on 43, so when I get to 50 years, I'll be 72 going on 73. That's where I want, I mean, I don't want to die when I get to 72. I want to live longer, but, uh, but I want to make 50, uh, and hopefully my wife agrees. She's not in here. Um, <laughs> she's teaching uh, kids to class today. But, uh, so that's our, that's our story in a nutshell. Uh, our first year of marriage, though, was, was pretty difficult for us. We, we rented a, a one-bedroom. Uh, one bathroom apartment. It was it was pretty pretty uh, small, about the size of this carpet up here, and uh, and uh, but I, she was moving from here to Memphis. We were tr- you know coming from two different churches, two different ways of life, and different things like that. And first year was challenging. Uh, we loved each other. We loved Jesus, and that's what kept us together. Um, and, and that people would tell us that when we first got married. You guys, you guys have such an advantage. You love the Lord. And I really didn't get what they were saying at the time. I'm like, yeah, we're supposed to. I mean, yeah, it's awesome to love Jesus. Yes, he loves me. But when, you, when, you, when your relationships go through strain, and if you really love the Lord, he really loves you and helps you to work through things. And so one of the things we did was we talked to our pastors. We met with them and said, hey, uh, we're having some struggles. We're trying to get adjusted, uh, and this was, uh, you know, it was just that's part of the, part of life. Sometimes part of relationships. So we listened to what they said. They prayed with us. They gave some good advice, uh, but then we actually put into play what they told us to do, and that made all the difference. One of the one of the uh, uh, heartbeat anthems that they would always tell us every time, and they would also preach on this to the church and, and everything, and that is this. A marriage is like a funeral. You need to come prepared to die to yourself. So I'm like, oh, wow, but aren't we supposed to be, like, celebrating and, you know, enjoying that? Yeah, absolutely. The, the, the growth happens when, when, when two die and one comes to life. So if you didn't know that marriage is about dying to yourself, it is. And it leads to great fulfillment and great happiness and great contentment and great longevity. Um, and I've only been at it, we've only been at it for 20 years, so we've got a ways to catch up with the Varghese over here to get to 57. Uh, that would be awesome. But that was one of the things that we took away was that, hey, we need to quit uh, living for each our own self and start learning to live and help each other. So that leads me to sharing a few things about 20 things we've learned in marriage, and I'm just going to share a few of them today. Uh, let's, let's back up in this text here in Ephesians 5 and go back to verse 21. We're going to read a few verses here. Paul says, And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's a pretty big statement. For wives, what this means is submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of his body, the church. And as the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit to husbands in everything. Verse 25. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church and he gave up his life for her. One of the, the, the number one thing that, that marriage has taught, taught me is this, is that I am incredibly selfish. 
yeah, it's awful how selfish I am, how selfish I can be. But marriage, church, teaches you to see that and hopefully start a journey of fighting the mess out of selfishness and not let selfishness win. You know, my number one enemy, it, it's not people, it's not situations. My number one enemy for all is ourself. See, when ourself wins, then everything else loses. But when we die to ourself and crucify our flesh as unto the Lord and unto Christ and let Christ Jesus become bigger in us, guess what happens? Everything else around you, everyone else around you wins. I'm not going to expound on all of these. I, I plan to share 11 of these 20 today. But selfishness really is, is at the top because it's, it's a pretty big deal. Number two, let's look at verse 26. It says, He gave up his life for her Christ for the church to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. Second, another thing that marriage has taught me over 20 years is this, is to pray with and to pray for my spouse even when I don't feel like it. Even when I don't feel like it. And, you know, we would really be foolish in doing ourselves dissatisfaction if we didn't pray with and pray for our spouses. And even, I would even encourage you, if you want to be married one day and you're not, pray for your future, who, whomever that is that God has for you. Begin to pray for them if you have not yet, that God would equip them, God would prepare them, God would mold them, God would shape them, God would get them ready so that you don't have to go through a bunch of nonsense when you get married. You will go through stuff, you will go through trials, and you will go through strains, but if you've got a one whole person in Christ married to another whole person in Christ, boom, together you got a powerful combination already prepared. You know, prayer changes things when we pray sincerely, when we pray, you know, prayer changes things more than arguing with one another does. You know, if, we, if I can remind myself to not be so quick to speak, as James reminds us, to be slow to speak and quick to listen. I tend to do the opposite sometimes. I'm fast to speak and slow to listen. Hello, I think I'd get this thing by now. That when I practice that, it helps me to not argue and it helps me to stop and pray and it helps me to have a healthier perspective to see through the end of something that's going on. Changes pray, cha prayer changes the one that's praying, and it also changes the one you're praying for. But what it's praying does, it puts God in the middle and not ourself. Amen? All right, I got one yes out of that whole thing. Here's a third thing learned in uh, marriage, verse 27. It says, he did this to present, Christ did this to present himself a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. Uh, number third, uh, the third thing I've learned in marriage is this, is to serve my spouse even when I don't feel like it. Because if we were all honest, there are days and times and moments we just don't feel like doing anything for anybody else, right? If, we, if you get honest now, it'll help you out later. And that's doing things you're asked to do and even doing things out of your own initiative. Looking at your your family, looking at your home, looking at your spouse, and your, if you have children, looking at the whole landscape of that, 
asking ourselves, what can I do that can help better them and help serve them that will help them out? And you may not get anything out of it in reciprocation other than you did something to help someone else out, especially in your, in your own home. And then there's things, obviously, that we're asked to do. And I know we have a little, if we had a little thing in our pocket, it, it round, it's, I'm getting around to it, you know, getting around to it. I used to have a little chip like that, a little wooden chip I, that I got and put it in my pocket. It says, I'm getting around to it. And I uh, just hold that up sometimes, like, I'm going to get around to it. Here it is. And, uh, but I know we all have those types of intentions. We're going to get around to it. We're going to get around to it. But if we just begin to uh, and look at our, our home and our unit and our family and our relationship and see what can I do ask ourselves what can I do that would help serve them today this week this month whatever whatever that might be and, we, and over 20 years we've kind of settled into some things as to what each and of each one of us tends to do and that helps the, our family unit move along and, bec- and and try to be healthy and on pace and just in a, in a good way overall one of the things that uh, that I do is I set the coffee pot up at night because I, I, I like we, Haley and I both drink coffee we're coffee consumers coffee connoisseurs coffee uh, addictors uh, I could drink coffee all day long um, and uh, I could I wish Jerry Seinfeld would invite me to ride in one of his cars to be you know comedians in cars getting coffee I drink coffee with him all day uh, and laugh too, but, uh, but nonetheless, uh, coffee, I just, we just love coffee, but anyway, that's one of the things I do every night, I don't care if it's midnight, if I got out and come home and t- from something or whatever, I'm going to set that coffee pot up, because if I'm up first, or if she's up first, I just want to be able to hit the button, sometimes we don't do the, we don't do the timer, because it's not always the same time, every single time, but we just, you like that, hit the button, and then a few minutes later, the alarm goes off, coffee alarm goes off, and it's coffee time. Uh, I, I like to iron our clothes uh, every night or every morning, depending on how good we are at doing that sometimes. I like to iron everybody's. I like to get them ready, or they, she picks them out and approves them, but then I'll, because uh, sometimes if I pick them out, she'll be like, what are the kids wearing? Nah, that's not going to work. Yeah. And so I like to iron them and get them ready and, um, and, and get them prepared for the for the next day or that day whatever it is save her time let her do her thing let let, uh, give her a space I like to take the kids to school even though we come to the same spot every day I like to take the kids to school I like to give her uh her drive time by herself I do it about three days out of the week if as best as I can some days I sometimes I can't but as best I can I like to do that because I like to give her that 30 minutes of drive time uh just by herself uh just so she can think pray uh, gather her thoughts uh, as she's driving into, into uh, work at, here at the school every, every day. Um, I'll, I try to do the laundry every week as much as I can. We kind of share that sometimes, especially in the summer when she's not teaching. Uh, we try to share that, but I like to do that because I, I don't, uh, but the flexibility of my schedule versus hers is a little different, so I like to take advantage of that time and get that laundry ready and, and do all that good stuff. But uh, I'm saying all that to say this. It didn't start out like that. It started out with me expecting her to do a whole lot. It started out with me having these expectations of my wife that she's supposed to cook, clean, prepare, iron, sew, and she can't sew very good, and neither can I when we ask others to help. 
and um, uh, and, and I, I just had these expectations that I, she's supposed to do all this stuff. And if we're both, both are working, both are full-time working, uh, that, that makes it very challenging uh, on her part and very stupid on mine. And so over, over 20 years, that's one of the things we've kind of settled into. There's things that I do that helps the family, and there's things, a, lot, a, lot, a lot of things she does that, that, quite honestly, I should thank her more for that she does and uh, that she serves even when she doesn't feel like it. Here, number four and five kind of go together. Let's look at this, verse 28. It says, In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. Four and five are together, and I'll say it this way. Discover your own primary love language and that of your spouse's. What is a love language? Well, I, I, that's a very good question because I had no idea up until about 12, 13 or so, 14 years ago when we came across this book called The Five Love Languages by Dr. Gary Chapman. We actually attended a marriage conference and this subject, he taught on this subject. He was there and spoke about this and it was in that moment, we were both sitting there, right, taking these notes about this thing and he, and he was sharing, he and his wife, they're, they're probably at the 50 plus range of marriage too, and he was sharing about all these different things over life and experiences, and, but how when, they, when he came across and discovered these things and put them into practice and began talking about it more, how it revolutionized their relationship and Haley and I are sitting there with all these other married couples and and uh and it just came alive to us and we're like oh that's why you like that and that's why I'm like this right and I know some of you are like thinking well duh man didn't you didn't anybody teach you anything growing up and uh learned a lot growing up but I, I didn't really know about this sort of thing and, um, and so we, we, we quickly did an assessment of these five. Here's are the five uh, love languages, primary love languages, and that's words of affirmation. Number two, quality time. Three, receiving gifts. Four, acts of service. Five, physical touch. We're all going to have a primary one that, that, that just really leaps and is alive on the inside of us because that, that one is what we aim to receive and that's one we aim to give out of most of the time. And here's what I, I, I want to tell you about this today is, is when we, we, whenever we do premarital, premarital counseling here at the church, we give these books to, to, uh, to those couples and we tell them as quickly as you can, you need to read this. This needs to be your diet uh, for, for a while, and you guys need to figure it out. You need to understand what your love languages are because uh, it will help you in, uh, in communicating to one another. It will help you in understanding one another. It will help you in serving one another. It will, it will take a lot of the, the questions right out and help, and help answer a whole lot of things. But they have provided a, uh, a love language personal profile. Uh, that's, it's simple, it's 30 questions, you, you answer, you don't think on each question for 10 minutes, you, you answer it as fast as you can, uh, honest as you can, and then by the time you get done, you tally up the results, and it's going to tell you in, 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 um, in, what, in, in what your primary love language are, one, two, three, four, five. 
And then I would encourage you to do that if you've never done that. Um, it just really opened, has opened our eyes. It opened our eyes up way back when. Um, saw the light, and it helped uh, change and put us on a better course of understanding and communicating one another a whole lot more. Because, you know, we all have expectations of each other. We all have expectations about a lot of things. And especially when it comes to relationships, we have these expectations about what one or the other should do and shouldn't do, what they should say, how they should say it, uh, expectations about a lot of different things. But we have these available for you if you'd like to take one. Um, uh, you, you can pick one up on your way out today when, when, we, when we dismiss. You can grab one of those, and I would encourage you to take it home and uh, take that little test, that little profile. It's not really a test. It's more of a, of a profile. It opens, opens some things up. Uh, and if you've never read the book, I would encourage you to expound uh, your thinking a little bit uh, on this subject matter. Um, and uh, it just really, really has been very helpful and productive. All right, number six and seven go together. Verse 29 says, No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. Number six and seven, I'd say it this way, that some things we've learned in marriage is this, is, this uh, is don't stop learning your spouse and don't stop dating each other. Don't stop learning your spouse and don't stop dating each other other. In other words, you, we need to all create time, regular, consistent time with our spouse. Regular time. Make special time with one another. Maybe it's planned and sometimes maybe even surprises, depending on how well your spouse likes surprises or not, or how spontaneous they can be. Sometimes surprising me for stuff doesn't work because I'm not a very spontaneous person unless I think of it. But my wife, on the other hand, is very spontaneous, and I could surprise her and say, hey, let's do this today, and she'd be like, yeah, let's do that. And for me, I've got to, like, think for about 30 minutes, look at my planner, look at my calendar, look at my, what, what's, gonna, what's tomorrow, uh, what did I do yesterday? And I know being married to me is, is I don't know why she is, but she is. But uh, I've come a long ways, folks. Pray for me to keep going further, all right, and to be a little more spontaneous because um, those spontaneous moments are fun. Um, but anyway, don't stop learning your spouse, who they are. Don't stop dating. In other words, spend some quality time together. Here's one of the things that will happen. If you have children, then this shows them the importance you place on your relationship. Because if mom and dad are healthy, the family unit can be healthy. But if mom and dad are not that healthy, the rest of the family unit's going to suffer. And you're going to be f trying to plug holes and fill in gaps and do this and do that. And you're always going to be trying to get water out of a sinking boat. It's never going to stop because mom and dad have to be healthy. Amen? We've got to be healthy. And um, not perfect. Just ask any one of my kids. We ain't perfect. We're not perfect. But one thing we try to do is place an emphasis on spending regular time together. And that, that's uh, huge and, and beneficial. Um, so, don't stop learning and don't stop dating each other. 8 through 11 kind of all fall in together. And, I, and I'll say it this way. Talking about 20 things we've learned in marriage. I'm going to stop with these here. 
Listen to your spouse. Value their input, value their insight, value their involvement. Husband and, and wife, both back together. Value their input, value their insight, value their involvement. All the way back to the beginning when God first created us, created us and he said, hey, it, it is just not good for man to be alone. So what's he do? He said, I'm going to create a helper that's suitable for him, a helpmate. So what's he do? He makes animals. What the heck? You're making animals. Made all these animals. Adam named them. Saw that there was still something missing. He's like, I got to go a little further than this. So he put man to sleep. Takes one of his ribs out. Creates woman. And Adam wakes up, sees woe man for the first time. And he's like, whoa, man. That's her. That's right. That's legit. However he said it. But it's like, this is it right here. We're to, supposed to be together. God creates us for relationship. And even throughout the scriptures in, in Ecclesiastes, it says two are better than one. Right? Two are better than one. And so we, and he created our helpmate, our, our, our partner in life, our spouse to, see, to be that. We're partners. We're together. We are helpmates to one another. And we need to be able to value each other's input, value each other's insight on things, and involvement in certain things. And uh, so with that, I want to just lay these last three out like this. Don't stop learning what your spouse tries to teach you. Now, if you're like me, you get, you get very hard-headed at times, and you don't like people teaching you things. That's me sometimes. I don't like being taught certain things. I like to experience it and figure it out for myself and like to get my hands in the middle of it and, and work this problem out. Um, life is a lot easier and a lot better and a lot smoother when, when I actually listen to what my wife has to say about a lot of things. Uh, valuing her input, valuing her insight, valuing her involvement. Uh, about a week or two ago, we were at the dinner table as a family, and, and I came, I sat down at the table, and I said, here, here guys, here's how it's going to be, right here. Da -da 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 -da. I splatted it off, man, man of the house, brother. I'm going to take control of this thing. My kids are going to get in line today and forevermore. And my wife goes, how about we try it like this? And she says it her way, and I'm thought. I'm done. This is good. You are perfect for this. That's amazing. Kids, listen to what your mother just said, because that is right. And I'm like, she just whipped all of us into shape, and it was very gentle. <laughs> Growing up, I didn't like my dad spanking me. I liked my mother spanking me, because it's a little more gentler. I was like, if you get a choice, I always pick mom. But mom surprised me one time. She made it hurt. I remember it. Seventh grade, summertime, got grounded for six weeks of summer. What? Yeah, I don't play around with them. But they gave me the choice, who you want to spank you, mom or dad? I was like, Phew. I think, mom? Brother, she made it hurt. You don't even remember mom, but it hurt. And you got my attention. I didn't do what I did anymore because it landed right. But anyway, 
What was I going with that? Oh, don't, don't stop learning what your spouse tries to teach you. Yes. Don't stop learning what your spouse tries to teach you. I think uh, Micah 6, 8 tells us this, is to walk humbly and to love mercy. Walk humbly. Uh, number 10, it's under listening to our spouse. It's this. Give your spouse permission to grow into who God is making them. Don't get jealous, but also don't, in, or don't uh, hold anything against them because they're growing and they're maturing and they're changing and they're becoming better. They're becoming more beautiful. They're becoming more who they are called to be. You know, I, I was married, it was 22 when I got married, Haley 24, uh, now tw- 42, 44, 20 years. Uh, I'm not who I was when we first got married. And I'm glad my wife's patient enough to let the Holy Spirit work things out and, and, and cause me to get with the program a lot more and not lag behind. But we've got to give our spouse permission to grow because we'll go, life happens, seasons happen, Changes happen, transitions happen, experiences happen. Maybe jobs change, relocations here or there, whatever. Schools change. A lot of things go on in a few amount, in a few amount of years. And a lot, of, a lot of things can change, and certainly God changes us. He uses marriage to help shape us. He uses our spouses to help shape us. He uses our helpmates to help form us. And I'm thankful for that. And I just need to keep remembering that. And the last one is this. Don't want to be right all the time. That's one of the big things that, he, that marriage has taught me, and I still learn on this one, is don't want to be right all the time. Sometimes we can be right, but we can be wrong at the same time because of how it happens. We should not always want to just push our point of view. I've noticed with us that anytime uh, I try to keep pushing my point of view on certain things, whatever it might be, it just, it, neither one of us are going to win in the sense of the goodness coming out. And so we have to resist the urge to want to be right all the time. Be willing to take one for the team. Be willing to take one for the team for what's best for your family, what's best for your marriage, what's best for you at that time, because it'll end up playing out in a much better condition down the road. So, as I told you, Vision 2020, let hope arise. A lot of you raised your hands on where you were in this span of anniversary time of marriage. And I believe, as I opened up, as Scripture tells us, that marriage is... Supposed to be a, it's supposed to be a reflection of Christ and the church and how the different ways Christ loves us, the different way, ways Christ works in us, the different ways Christ is patient with us, the different way he does his thing in our life. And, um, and, and so a, a marriage, is God's intention is, is, hey, let it showcase, let it demonstrate, let it communicate, let it, let it be magnified in ways that, hey, there's a really great connection there between the two of them, and it's not fate, it's Jesus. And the ways that you struggle with each other and struggle through life, and, but you're together through all of it, and you don't put the blame on one another for whatever bad thing, whatever issue arises, all those things. 
and that's really what we, we want to communicate uh, today and, uh, and next week as we, we pick this back up. So uh, I, if you don't show back up next week, I'm going to feel really bad because uh, I just told you what we're going to planning to, to teach on next week. But I would encourage you um, is, is to give me another chance next Sunday. All right? And, um, but I want to pray for us today because really what, what this all is about, Vision 2020, Let Hope Arise, it's about getting God's perspective and, and keeping God's perspective about everything. Because God is perfect and He can see all the way through to the end of something. For He is the beginning and He is the end. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the first and the last. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. And, oh man, we would just be missing out on so much if we didn't trust him and his point of view and, and his perspective and his thoughts and his ways to filter into us to allow, to, for us to be able to see life and to see situations and to see people the way he sees them. You know, you, we have those moments when that happens, when that connection happens, we're at peace. And, so, and it doesn't really matter what's going on around us because we trust God so much to, that we trust him to, to walk us through this the right way. And so I want to I want to end by by praying. Actually, the kind of the beginning part of this letter in Ephesians. Um, can you stand to your feet if you're able to stand? We're going to pray. I'm going to end end this thing today. That Paul opens up this letter to the believers in Ephesus with a prayer, and I just want to pray this over us today. It's really it's really about us gaining heaven's perspective, us gaining God's perspective. And obviously today we're pinpointed marriage and relationships, but wherever, wherever you are, wherever there might be a gap, wherever there, there might be a disconnect of some kind, that God would believe God to close it, believe God to bridge it, believe the, the work of the Holy Spirit through the Word of God, through the relationships of people that God puts in our life to help us to be healed where, where we're not healed to bring some closure perhaps where, where some things are left undone. Maybe just a, maybe sometimes a good swift kick in the pants helps us out too. It just depends on where we're at and how God wants to handle it. But nonetheless, there are gaps in our lives. There's gaps in our marriages. There's gaps in our relationships. There's gaps in church all across the board. But I believe that if we're willing and we're honest and we're humble, that God and let God work in us and give us His perspective, life can be better. Amen? It can be greater because Jesus is in control. So, if that's you, let's just bow our heads. I just want to pray for you today. And then Pastor Lindsay's going to come and close things out with us. I'm just going to pray Ephesians 1, a couple of verses. Let's focus our thoughts on this right now. God, we come before you and recognize that we're not perfect. As a person, we're not perfect. As couples, we're not perfect. As families, we're not perfect. Lord, as, as a church, we're not perfect, Lord. And certainly as a society, we're not perfect. But it, we're thankful that because of our, our imperfections, you don't push us out. You don't push us away. No, it's through your loving kindness and your faithfulness that you you draw close to us and and right now we believe you're here and we draw close to you and you always honor your word that when we call on your name and 
when we gather together in your name, when we, when we draw near to you, you are there. And I pray right now, oh God, that you would be near to every heart, to every life, to where it, whatever struggle any one of us might have going on in our life right now, in our heart right now. We, some might not have even voiced it to anybody else, but it, it's real inside. The struggle is real, oh God, and we invite you to step in to our pain. We invite you to step into our struggles. We invite you to step in to our turmoil. We invite you to step in to where our vision and our perspectives may not be clear. And we ask you, O oh God, first forgive us of our faults. Forgive us of our shortcomings. Lord, forgive us of, our, of our, where we have been hard-headed in certain things. May Forgive us, O oh God, where we've been persistent on just carrying on the way we've carried on. Help us, O oh God, to see and to have your thoughts and to, to know your ways and to have your perspective. I pray, as Paul wrote, you would give us spiritual wisdom and insight so that we could truly grow in your knowledge. Whatever hinders that, whatever blocks that, whatever wall there might be, come forth by the power of your Spirit today and give us spiritual wisdom and insight so that we could truly grow in you, O God. I pray, O God, our hearts would be flooded with light. Where there's darkness, where there's dis dis uh, discouragement, where there's disappointments, where there's been wounds in our hearts, flood our hearts with your light. Flood it so much so that whatever is not good would just be washed out and cleaned out. Lord, so that we can truly understand the confident hope that we have in you. Anyone feeling hopeless today about any situation, about anything, flood our hearts with your light so that confident hope can come forth. And Lord, I pray that you would, that you would help us understand and know the incredible, great power that you possess. We sing about it today, how great thou art. Let that greatness that created this world, that spoke life into existence, that fashioned humanity and breathed your breath into our lungs, let that great power that raised Jesus from the dead, the great power that you possess and that you are, work in our lives. Where we're powerless where we have the inability to solve a problem, where we, God, have our backs against the wall, maybe backed into a corner, unsure what to do, how to handle it, how to deal with it, how to proceed today by your power. We trust you to work things out. Work things out with our spouses. Work things out with our children. Work things out in our homes. Work things out in our hearts. Work things out here in our church. Work things out in our society. Because Jesus, you are on the throne. You are on the throne. But you also want to be on the throne of every heart and every 
life in every relationship. So come, we invite you in. Be big in us and do big things so that, oh God, our lives could reflect your glory, your honor, your beauty, and your love. I pray this now, seal this in our hearts in Jesus' name. If you agree with that prayer, you can say amen and amen. Don't forget, Lindsay will remind